You are listening to the Clonmel Junction Arts Festival podcast, which takes place from the 3rd to the 11th of July. Hello, my name is Fergal O'Keefe and you're very welcome to the Junction Festival podcast. Today we're going to be talking about visual trails and the outdoor programme at the festival. First we're going to start with Clean Mar giving us an overview of the festival. We have some really interesting interviews today then with Jack Reardon, Lucy Phelan, Aoife Delahuntry-Reed and Billy O'Reardon. But first let's talk to Clean Mar, our festival director, about the visual arts programme this year. You're very welcome. We have uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, visual arts and trails. I mean, it's outdoors, which is very appropriate for this year. Indeed. (laughs) Yeah. So I've said to you before that we approached the programming of this festival with an idea that we wanted as much as possible to be restriction proof. Um, And one of the things that we we enjoyed doing last year year when we worked with the borough district on kind of seasonal events at Halloween and, and Christmas was um the sort of the, the trail, the things in shop windows, you know, so you're out doing your walk with the dog or the grandkids and you can, you know, you can stop and look at things. So we, we sort of started from this idea of pivoting a couple of the projects to being outdoor installations. And Lucy Phelan, the artist Lucy Phelan, was great because she has a show that was envisaged for a very particular type of building. And it's now all going to be out in the streets. It's this wonderful piece, Conversations with the Toyn, which is basically a, an artist's response to Toyn Bokuna, which is kind of the epic Irish tale creation myth about the battle between the two armies um, uh, over who has a better bull. It's actually a fantastic piece. Uh, I remember there's a a really great um, uh, version in English from, I think, the 60s or 70s that Tesla did. But it's, you know, it's it's about land ownership and the havoc that that can create. Um, And I think that's something that is still true today. So uh, that's a really interesting piece that is going to be... uh, you know, you're going to talk to Lucy about it and she'll tell you all about it. So that's kind of one of the outdoor pieces. Um, and then with that, we have uh, a project that's sort of a hybrid project, uh, rock and roll with Billy O'Reardon and John Fitzgerald. And it's uh, there, there will be a digital version on our website that people can access with these short films made by Michael Hughes. But it is really an audio trail. And the idea is that you go to St. Patrick's Well or you go to the old town walls and you, you know, you use your phone to access an audio recording of them re- reading a piece that they've written about that. And they're, you know, both Billy and John have such profound knowledge of Clonmel and they're both great. They're both really, I suppose, particularly in the voices of those two guys. Um, we have a, a really nice project, which is sort of part of the whole 20th anniversary thing where um, there's going to be an audio walk called People, which was created in 2014 by the Australian company One Step at a Time Like This and a number of teenagers who had who were on the, the Junction Joe trainee program. And Aoife Delaney Reid has just graduated from her drama uh, theatre course in NUIG and she and Rian Condon, who was involved in the original as well, and Aideen Susan and Chloe Barry are all coming back to recreate the piece. So it will be a sort of a lovely little echo from the past. And it is, it's a, you know, it's, it's a really great piece. And you, 
you you have a guided walk around the town while listening to something on the headphones. Um, and, you know, so that's kind of a nice idea. Another audio installation is uh, the Kick and Barracks audio installation um, where Jack Reardon and Michael Stapleton are basically creating sounds that commemorate the, you know, 100 years of the barracks being handed over um, and becoming Kick and Barracks. And then, of course, sadly closing um, ten, almost 10 years ago. Um, so this, it, it's kind of a swan song to a place that really is so important in terms of Clonmel life. Um, so those are all things. Some of them, like with people with um, Overlook, you're, you're going to have to book in uh, to get a slot because they're kind of their guided tours, let's say. Um, they're both free events. But with the others, you can just sort of pick your, your starting point and off you go. Um, we'll have a marquee at the site of the dome. We'll have a kind of an information marquee where people will be able to come along and get all the information on the festival. They'll be able to get maps. They'll be able to get the trails. And of course, we're right there by our friends at Tipperary Museum of Hidden History, which is where the Cabinet of Curiosity Trail starts. So that's a project that we've put together with the museum. Um, with this idea that last summer um, for the festival, they they weren't open. And then, you know, they were open, I think, just after the, the festival. So we were sort of thinking, well, what could we do this year just in case you're not open? And we had this idea of sort of museums, out, kind of museum elements out on the streets. So we're placing mini museums in, uh, town, in shop windows around town. And... They're drawn from a lot of different um, sources. So we have the transition years from the high school and the presentation have co collected a group of artifacts that you know they think represent Lamel. And we have the Pride Committee doing a window. We have the staff at Tesco's. Um, and then we have individuals like say, for example, Danny Carroll is doing one. Uh, Paul Walsh is doing one. Um, they're going to be maybe more their personal interpretation of Clonmel. So I think it'll be, I think as a, as a selection of things to walk around and look at, that'll be great. And then our final trail is um, we're working with Billy Barrett on it and we're very simple and just, I think we're all so interested in looking at historical pictures of the town. So what we're going to do is basically place them in different areas. So kind of what this spot looked like 100 years ago. And I think, again, just it'll add a bit of interest to your daily walk. And um, it'll just start us thinking about, you know, how we use our, our public spaces and how we use our town and how much it has changed and how much it can change again. Um, exactly. You know, because I think this is a real crux moment for the town centre. And as somebody who grew up on O'Connell Street, this is something that is very close to my heart. Um and uh, yeah, ho hopefully it'll sort of get people thinking about how we use our streets and what we use them for. Exactly. And it's free and access, you know, available free, to everybody. Free, accessible. Yeah, with the cabinets and with those, they'll, they'll be sort of all around town, mostly I think with the cabinets and with some of Lucy's pieces, we'll be focusing in the area, in the, in the kind of environs of the dome. We've got some cabinets down in showgrounds and we've got one of the, we've got one of the kind of pastimes things down there. So, when you come into town to go to the festival, even if there's no performance available, because we still don't know with our restrictions, um, you'll still have lots of things to see and do and lots of things to kind of animate the public space. And just before we go, there, you've 
there's been two new gig announcements since the last time I was talking yes, to you. Isn't that right? Have. Great two very ones. exciting gig announcements. And they're sort of, <laughs> um, I suppose there were things that we had in the works, but we didn't announce until they were finalised. So one of the gigs is a part of the Rare Clonmel concert series. The title of it is Irish Town. So it's basically looking at, you know, the other two look at kind of the music from different kind of I suppose different populations and this is looking at Irish music in the same period of sort of the 18th 19th century and it's played by Steve Cooney the guitar maestro um, with uh, Cormac Rannock on whistles and Dermot Byrne on accordion so that'll be a really lovely lunchtime concert on the Friday and the kind of the final concert of our We Can Be Heroes 2.0 series is uh, Kate Tuig's concert I like to call it Kate Tuig's concert (laughs) But she is opening for the great Paul Noonan, uh, he of Bell X1. So I'm very excited about that. It'll be his Junction debut. Um, I don't know, you'll know this. Has he played in Clonmel before? He did. He played in O'Keefe's once with Bell X1, but only yeah, once he's yeah, been yeah. to Clonmel before. And uh, yeah, so there'll be a lot of interest in that concert as well. And it'll, it'll finish that series out in a really, really nice way. Our first interview is with Billy O'Reardon, who talks about the Rock and Roll Trail. Your Rock and Roll is a brilliant title. Yeah. <laughs> brilliant project. <laughs> Could you tell us a bit about it? It sounds really interesting. Well, I'm doing it with my friend John Fitzgerald, and we kind of... When John shows up at the door, my heart sinks, with, especially if he has an idea. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to run to the hills, but uh, we both are local writers and uh, we were in the Clonmel Writers Group for about a decade. So that's how we kind of got to know each other. And we've done we've we've done a few projects together. We when we were in the writers group, we used to do an annual Christmas show with public readings, words and music. So we've kept in touch and we've you know, we've been become good friends over the years. And um, John had an idea about a year or two ago to kind of highlight um, local people of note in, in the town and local streetscapes and things like that. And it evolved then into rock and roll, which is about the fabric of the town. And what well, John, John's pieces are to do with the kind of human interest aspect of it. Mine are to do with kind of the, the ge- geographical or the physical aspect of how stone and uh, bricks and mortar um, connect with our identity here in the town. So that's basically it. Like, and it, and where exactly is it going to be on in the town? Well, John has picked uh, Saint Luke's Hospital and Saint Stephen's Cemetery because John grew up in that area, so he's very familiar with it. My own three pieces relate to the, t- the old town walls themselves. And uh, I don't know if you know it, St. Patrick's Well, mm. which is in Marlefield, Clonmel, and the actual town wall itself, the actual physical structure of the town wall itself. So th- we picked three kind of short essays. Well, in my case, it's a poem and two short essays. And they're kind of personal reflections, but they also relate to how these structures uh, molded our identity, you know, as Clonmel people, particularly we're kind of well known for the siege of Clonmel, obviously with Cromwell and uh, St. Patrick's Well is a beautiful 
immunity on the edge of town. We all know it's one of the largest wells devoted to our national patron saint. So there's sort of aspects of it that we kind of wanted to highlight because the Junction Festival isn't just for the people of Clonmel, it's for people throughout Ireland. And so they'll come to see Clonmel in new light when they kind of um, read our pieces and they'll get a sense of the place. It's just a humble contribution of three local writers, really. And uh, no, I'm really fortunate. And there's such great history, you know, in the walls in Clamell, isn't there? If you walk through Old St. Mary's Church, you'll see the remnants of the old wall. Um, they were probably kept safe because of the fact that they were in the grounds of the church. But dotted around the town, there are s- smaller remnants of the town itself. Um, but when you step out of the hustle and bustle of Mary Street there, you have the school and you have the car park and then suddenly you're in this oasis of tranquility with the old headstones and the wall. You can get a real sense of the history of the town. Now, it was a bloody history, obviously, in 1650 when Cromwell laid siege to the place. So um, my piece kind of reflects on that. Very good. I just, this isn't related, but I, I saw a funny thing on Twitter the other day. It was somebody saying, did, I wonder, did Cromwell realise uh, that he would be trending on Twitter at least once a week, <laughs> every <laughs> week in Ireland? He lost a, a thousands and thousands of soldiers here in Cromwell. It was, it was one of his biggest ever defeats. It was to do with our geographical location because we had the river protecting us on one side and we had the town walls, but... Um, it was it was a, it was an interesting part of his history. You know, when he did come to Clonmel, he he uh, met his match, as it were. <laughs> exactly. I think I think Clonmel people are very proud of that, aren't they? They're they still, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's amazing. But, a couple of hundred, a couple of hundred years later, we're still dining out on uh, holding off Cromwell. <laughs> I just think he's yeah. one of the most fascinating characters. You know that he has such. He still has a strong hold. You know, when you yeah. say his name, you do get a little shiver yeah. up your spine, don't the you? Fact that he, he walked the streets of Clonmel. He, his army was outside the walls of the town and he obviously spent time in the town. It's, 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 it's you have to pinch yourself. There's such a, yeah. a huge historical figure was and here. For people that, <laughs> and for people that don't know the story, that it, so the, the, the town held out and he respected the town for holding out. He decided not to trash the place, essentially. He gave us, unlike Drogheda, the massacre of Drogheda, he, yeah. we, we, we gained favourable terms here. But he was tricked in a way because Dove O'Neill's army had slipped away across the old bridge. So he wasn't entering a town where an army was about to surrender it was almost empty <laughs> so <laughs> now he kept his word which is <laughs> lucky for our ancestors we probably what might not yeah. be here if he hadn't <laughs> and you know. your so your your um exhibit or that will be there for the whole week of the festival isn't that right we we, we were in studio recording it an audio as well and there's a little video attached to it as well and I, I don't know if you can read the pieces themselves, but, you know, they're, they're, they're available on all platforms, as they say. Excellent. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've enjoyed doing it. And um, it's, as I said, myself and John, we live in the town. We grew up in the town. So it's good to have a local contribution as well. To exactly. The now we have Lucy Phelan talking about her project, 
conversations from the tone. Lucy, for the uh, Junction Festival this year, you're, you're doing conversations with the tone and it sounds like an amazing, insta- it's going to be installations around the town yes. and the whole story around the town, the, the tone, it sounds like amazing. I can't wait to see it. Well, it's a very human story, Fergal. It's like it appears initially to be uh, a big, long, epic war tale, but when you delve into it, it's about human beings, uh, their relationships, their conflicts, uh, their struggles, and how very, very small little disagreements about, uh, you know, who said what, when, where and how can escalate into something bigger than its parts. And I like I like working with very uh, with a lot of different media. So there's going to be photographs, there's sculpture boxes, there is, um, you know, a big sod piece, sod and wishing tree piece as well that would be central to it as well. So there's a good bit going on there. It's going to be all over the town, isn't that right? Or how does it work? Well, because of COVID, as we all know, there's been various restrictions. Um, I like to work outside. I like to work within community with all of the, the work that I do so far. So uh, my understanding is, is that the sculpture pieces will be in shop windows, so people will kind of notice those as they go around. Uh, the... Um, Big drawings, the dream drawings, are going to be on hoardings uh, around the town, as will the photographs. And then there's a sod piece with a wishing tree that's going to be up near the library, uh, very near the dome. And the nice thing is, is that people will be able to interact with that piece. And what I've done with that piece is that when we're looking at the toy, uh, we're looking at uh, identity, And I noticed that a lot uh, within, say, women and where women are coming from, that uh, their identity usually travels through marriage, that somebody will uh, move move from where they live to where their husband lives or uh, move county. And I kind of was looking at that in terms of my own grandmothers. So what I've done is I've uh, gone down to Darigal in Waterford yesterday, had a lovely day down there collecting a sod, a piece of the actual land from where my grandmother, uh, Mary Ellen Power Ni Trehe, was from, uh, some rocks from the place and uh, some foliage, some trees, some branches from there. So that's going to be in one square. And then I'm going to go to Clusty near Schlievenman, where my other grandmother, uh, Mary Ellen uh, Nagel, or Mary Ellen Phelan, Ni Trehi, is from. And I'm going to take some sod from there, bringing the two actual land uh, pieces together with some from my own place here. Uh, our own house. And we're go- I'm kind of going to ask people to contribute to that. There's going to be two sections where people can bring, um, you know, bring from their own place, their own identity and add to that piece. And at the, uh, at the top of that piece, then there's going to be a wishing tree. And the, the tradition of the wishing tree in Ireland is huge. Um, it goes cross uh, culture, as in it, it's a pagan um, entity, but also it was used in Christian times. You'd often see it near a holy well, um, and how that, you know, when that translated over into, um, a kind of a more Christian, um, way of seeing things, that tradition went with it. So where people would tie a piece of rag or tie a ribbon or try their intentions to the tree 
And uh, so that's going to be available as well. And people can kind of add ribbons or intentions or rags to that. The tone, when was that? Like, when would that have been? They reckon it's in and around, it's an Iron Age tale. And it's in different series and there's different books. Uh, the, one of the uh, translations I have is the uh, Thomas Kinsella translation. And what's nice about this is that it goes uh, it goes into what was happening before the time. How did the time end up happening? So you have stories about the two pig keepers and, you know, them having a falling out because uh, men here say that my power is bigger than yours and how, you know, they're great friends, but they play little tricks on each other. Some people think that's hilarious. Some people don't think it's so hilarious. And, you know, uh, so, you know, the kind of one upmanship begins between them and that translates into out and out war <laughs> with them turning into different animals and fighting as birds and fighting as dragons and eventually turning into worms and one falling into the shore, the other falling into the Shannon and being taken up by a cow who has two bulls. And that's the Finn Banach and the uh, Tonbo Kuninga. And even then, how that translates on again into the kind of little marital disagreement between Maeve and Ahel. Men here say that, uh, isn't it great to be a rich man's wife? And she going, I was, you know, I was plenty well off before I met you. And then it translating back over together, oh, that's not what's been said around here. And then going back again, well, let's see who has the most money and the most power. And like measuring up each thing against, um, you know, each item against each item until it comes down to the bulls. And he has the better bull, the uh, the Finbanach guy, which used to be Maeve's, but he went over to the male herd because he didn't like being owned by a woman. Well, there's sexism for you. So, and again, how that escalates, how, you know, uh, hearsay, even when the bull is being borrowed, the toyn is being borrowed from the north. And again, you know, Dara is delighted to be lending the bull. But again, the people who went up to do the deal started talking and saying, ah, it is well now he gave the bull so easy because if he didn't give the bull, we'd have taken it anyway. So then the deal was off and we had the beginning of the toyn. Now it is kind of, it's, it's kind of set in the Iron Age. And they think, and um, But what fascinated me about it, Virgil, was the ordinariness of it, the ordinariness of life, that if you take out, obviously, all the references to charioteering and all the references to, um, you know, to, to a, what we would consider a more primitive time, all of the essence of identity, all of the essence of modern living is there. The relationships between people, how even people and things are are put into a language of, oh, no, they came from over there now. And sure, like he came on with his two brothers. And sure, do you know who they were now at all? Sure, they were related. And this is all said in verse within the time. And his two brothers came with him and three sisters and this person. God, what happened to all of them at all? Oh, sure, they all died in war. So it's like this litany that we'd have today, this way of telling a story, this way of, you know, putting it within a place, putting it within a time, putting it within a who was there was way more, was almost as important as the story itself. I wonder, is that an Irish thing or is that a universal thing? I don't 
No, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be fully aware of it. I know it seems to be Irish because the more folklore that I get involved in, the, the way the story is being told is still very much how we tell stories today, still how we kind of come at the thing. We come at it almost backwards. So who was there? Um, where did they come from? Who was involved? Where was it? And then the thing itself. But it's a very modern story. You could, you could replace cars for cows. And it's the same story. You could even replace cows for cows <laughs> in yeah. an agricultural society. True. You know, we are agricultural, and I think people's identity and like people in Ireland apparently are loving love uh, house ownership and land ownership in a way that apparently isn't as great in other countries. That we love ownership, we love our land, we love being of our land, we feel place incredibly strongly. As in, you know, if, if say, Tipperary was playing Kilkenny, it becomes a, you know, uh, tribal. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, like people from Kilkenny are married to people from Tipperary. It's not a war situation. But in terms of the day of the final, you know, the, you know, coming up to a match, but then even if Kilnall was playing feathered, the you know, the, the, the kind of territory would become smaller. You'll still root for your own place. You'll still be of um you know, be of your own place and treasure your own place. Um, you know, way past the time when you've probably moved away from it or you're living somewhere else, etc. Yeah, and that's very much tied into the festival this year identity. What's in a name or isn't it? Hugely. And it's a really important thing, I think, for uh, for people. And I think it's a really good theme to have um, where we are in terms of COVID. Because I think everybody has had um, spent a long time at home. A long time, maybe sometimes, yeah, you know, perhaps working from home in a situation where they wouldn't have been before. And I think people have had time to reflect on identity. People have had time to reflect on what's important, who they are, uh, who they are within their community, who they are even um, within their own family. And so I think that the theme of um, of the festival is hugely important this year of all years. I agree. For the tone, where I know the tone is Louis LeBrock, you know, the way he did the series. Yeah. Was that any sort of an influence on you or did you look at I, it? I loved, I loved what he did. I loved um, the drawings uh, in the book. It was an influence in one way, but I was kind of, all well, I am, I think, coming at it in a completely different way. Uh, the war side of it, the conflict side is, I suppose, coming through the work um in the in the sculpture boxes uh, particularly but not in a way of it being a magnificent battle because the way i read it was is that uh you know you have the toy and it's all about gossip it's all about gossip and who said what when and were you down there with him do you know what he said so i'm kind of tracing that natural thing that we have of carrying stories and in the end, there's this big battle and people have come like there's a whole chapter on who came from where in support and what they were wearing and, 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 and who they were. And in the end, in the last three pages, the battle kind of fizzles out. There's no glory. There's no, it kind of like fizzles out 
it's upsetting, it's boring for people because it, in the book it says that people are wandering around the battlefield wondering what to do. Um, the two bulls begin to fight then. They kill, they, they, they end up dead. And the whole tone of the end of it is, isn't that an awful, sh- isn't that an awful shame? Wasn't that now a waste? And there's parts like different characters in it goes, you know, uh, the bulls are gone, horses slaughtered, men displaced, women displaced, um, you know, and that at the end of everything, it was, you know, it, it was nobody won. There was no glory. And all there was was a kind of a, a lasting bitterness and uh, a sense of shame and loss. So I suppose I'm coming at it from that point of view uh, and less on the battles, less on the, um, you know, uh, less on the gathering of the clans. And Louis Le Braque had that. It was it, within his work, uh, was looking at the trajectory of the battle, looking at the trajectory of the war. So, but I love his work. I mean, who doesn't? I know. So your project will be all over the town for the for the duration of the festival. It will indeed. And, um, you know, I'm absolutely thrilled to be part of it because originally I'm from Feathered. Um, I was there until I was 17 when I went to uh, the Crawford, went down to Cork and never quite made it back. But, uh, you know, I'm absolutely delighted to be part of it this year. Jammed restaurants, packed beaches and queues for queues. No thanks. Isn't the point of a getaway to, you know, get away? So here's the inside tip. With the Golden Vale, incredible hiking, two blueways and gorgeous lakeside villages, Tipperary has it all. Visit the Mitchellstown Caves, walk the Knockmeal Downs or explore the Butler Trail. Take it easy while uncovering ancient castles and hidden secrets. Tipperary is unspoilt and waiting for you. Visit Tipperary.com. Supported by the Tipperary LCDC under the Leader Programme. Next up, we have Jack Reardon, who's going to talk about his project, Overlook, a kick and barrack story. So Overlook, um, a kick and barrack story sounds like a really good one. Yeah, it's, I hope so. I I really hope um, what we're aiming for really comes to life. Last year's festival, we were supposed to do this large-scale immersive theatre experience that was called uh, Overlook, uh, the Barracks story. And unfortunately, COVID put an end to it. Um, so this is kind of a bit of a swan song for that and hopefully something for the barracks itself because it's obviously about to be refurbished. So it might be a one final chance for people get to walk through the space and have that building come back to life in some capacity. Exactly. And... Um... I mean, kicking barracks, it, it's such an integral part of the town. It's in the heart of the town, isn't it? And all That's it. There's been a bunch of interviews that I've had and I've continuously described it as it, it used to be the beating heart of the town. Like I remember as a kid driving by and it was always this kind of mystical, magical place that you would look through the bars and see. As a kid, I don't really know what I thought I saw, that there was this, this other world happening there. Yeah, it was so integral to the town. You know, it's funny you say that because I actually do that. Like every, I pass it every day going to from work and every day I go past, and I look at the church and then I look at the officer's mess yeah. and I always turn and look in and go, God, there must be some amazing stories from that building. From both That's of it. 
when we did, when we were planning the show last year for this theatre version, we got to interview some of former residents of it. And like that, their stories were amazing. And like it, they really described it as like it was one of the foremost best barracks in the country for training cadets because in five minutes you were in the cameras and up to your knees in mud and then equally you're back in a, a town where you could have anything you wanted and they all said that if you were you know overseas or wherever and someone said oh, I trained in Clomel you knew your back was safe because those guys were were the best. And I mean, the fact that it's it's the 90th anniversary this year, is that right? You know, it, it goes back. When when did, when did it first? Or? It was handed over in 1922. Okay. Uh, it was formerly the Victoria Barracks, if I'm not mistaken, and then was renamed the Kickham Barracks. Um, so it's, yeah, the 90th anniversary of kind of the Irish. And do you know how old it actually is then? How much further back does it go? Great question. Um I'm sure I do know that date somewhere. <laughs> God knows. Way back. Yeah, way back. And that's the thing that kind of, I always look at it and go, you know, like that was British, because it's very much a mm-hmm. British looking um, building, you know what I mean? Or British rule and in the centre of town. And then it goes into the Irish history. And that's what you're going to be doing in this project, isn't it then? Essentially, yeah. So kind of the first part of it, we're doing one, two, three, four, five, it's five or six rooms essentially we're taking over and each room will kind of have a different um, theme to it. But the first will be that day that it was handed over and the proclamation was read and the Irish began to take up residence of it. Um, And then it'll kind of morph more into what had been its 90 year history of the training and the sergeants and the, the shouting and the roaring, but that was always to, for the betterment of the troops um, and then we had a piece last year that we're going to use again, which basically spoke about just what the Irish Defence Forces means and what it meant to cadets and what it means for Ireland and, you know, what we mean across the, the globe as well. We're a highly respected military force. And then it will finally end the officer's mess, which is where we're hopefully doing it. The bar is still there. So it'll end in the bar as if it was the final night in 2012, when everybody had one final pint before they left. Finally, we have Aoife Delahunty-Reed, who's going to talk about the People Project, which is back for the 20th anniversary. Aoife, you're very welcome to the podcast. The first question I want to ask you is, am I right in thinking that you were a Junction Joe, that you've always been around the festival? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I got involved in, I think 2012 was my first year with it um in the trainee program and then I pretty much came back every year uh until I went off to college um and then eventually graduated from the trainee program to being a junction joe and getting more involved in I guess sort of creating one specific piece as opposed to just helping out everywhere with lots of uh wonderful things (laughs) and what age were you then what age were you when you started getting involved oh I think I think the form said I was meant to be 14, but I think I was 13. (laughs) But 14, we'll say 14. No, but it's great to to meet a Junction Joe because, you know, there's a lot of people like that that, you know, grew up with the festival. I'm sure you Mm -hmm. and even before you were involved, you probably have great memories of it. So it's lovely to see someone that grew up with the festival. 
Yeah, well, that, that was it. The first time I remember hearing about it was um, my my older cousin was working in, um, I think it was the the Playhouse Cafe. So it was Shane Dempsey and Hannah Burke around that. And I remember just walking by one day and kind of going, oh, something's different. You know, something, I felt like something was going on. And just she was saying, oh, come in here for a bit. And I think I stayed for maybe about you know, seven, about seven hours. I just loved it. Like, it was really, really cool that you can kind of just, you know, walk into this whole new event kind of out of nowhere. It was really, really wonderful. Like, exactly. really great time. And then you speak of walking, um, you know, were you involved then with People, the project that you're on, involved with this year? Were you involved in that then, the original time? Was that 2000? Yeah, wow. so the, the original one of it, yeah, it was... Um, myself and the rest of the Junction Joes. Um, so it was when the Australian group one step at a time like this came over. So they sort of, um, I guess, facilitated the project. Uh, David had set it all up. Um, so we spent the time we would normally spend um, in the cafe, the social cafe spaces working on a show instead, um, which was really wonderful getting to work with like professional artists, you know, when you're about 15 or 16 going, wow, like, they can just make this whole thing and now we can make this thing and, you know, actually share it with people. Really, really great. Exactly. And it's lovely that it's coming back again then for the 20th anniversary this year, isn't it? Mm, oh, it's great. Absolutely. Um, and I think especially with COVID and stuff and kind of not a lot of live theatre being able to happen, it's great that something kind of the, the festival planted so long ago is kind of re-sprouting, I guess. Um and yeah, we're, we're currently looking for, if there's any young people who are looking to be involved in it, we're looking for about eight volunteers to help uh, run the show. It's, it's a great experience, get to meet new people, get to do theatre in a kind of COVID safe environment um, and just really get immersed in the festival. It's Brilliant. And what's your email address? You want people to contact you by email? Am I right? In uh, yeah, email would be great. It's ifamdor uh, at gmail.com. Brilliant. And could you tell us a little bit about people then for people that don't know about it? What it what is it? Yeah, so it's um so it's an audio promenade theatre. So it's sort of essentially um, a theatre piece where you're kind of told stories and different musings uh, through a pair of headphones. And then it happens around the streets of Clanmel. So you're guided by um, I guess, yeah, different people at different times, by different signs and things you see on the street. Um, and you're kind of just invited to, I suppose, reflect on your relationship with the people in the town um, and the way in which you maybe, you know, look at strangers, look at people in general, um, and sort of, I guess, how, how your relationship with people has changed from when you were younger to now. Brilliant. And I actually have a clip that I'm going to play now um, from Claudia Woolgar, who was she at that time, she was one of the directors. She actually was chairperson of the festival. And that was the one the highlight of her memories of all her time involved in the festival. Stop. Great. I'd love to hear. And what events then, the public events, is there anything that jump out that are particularly memorable to you? The one that first came to mind, it was an audio theatre walk around town. You had to go and pick up your headphones at, I think it was a previous um, accountancy office on a corner. And you got your headphones and then you walked around the town and you were told where to walk through the headphones. And occasionally you would come across somebody. And it was this sort of extraordinary, you were utterly alone, shut off from the rest of the world in a city that you'd lived in for 12 years or 10 years or whenever it was that event. 
but you you felt isolated and then you had these extraordinary moments of meeting people and I remember going down a little alleyway and you'd had to leave a word somewhere and then I came round the corner of an alleyway and it was written on the wall the word that I had left behind was written on the wall in front of me in this extraordinary feeling of a shiver down the back of your spine and discovering the city town in a way in which I'd never really seen it before and at the end of this beautiful walk I ended up down at the river and you were supposed to put a wish write a wish on a piece of paper and throw it in the river now I remember that wish I won't share it with you but I remember (laughs) that wish it didn't come true Yes. Um, But I remember that whole journey as really quite extraordinary. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and we'll see you again next Thursday when we'll be talking about some more of the programme and we'll also be doing a little bit more trip down memory lane since we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of the festival this year. So see you next week. You're listening to the Clonmel Junction Arts Festival podcast, which takes place from the 3rd to the 11th of July. Mm-hmm.